It's great. It's great to see you guys uh, again. It's great to be back. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to seeing you all to come and pray and eat pancakes with me on Tuesday. That's going to be awesome. We're going to be praying for salvation. And um, just to give you guys a heads up on Friday, um, the impactors, the, the young people of the church are going to host a night uh, where they uh, are allowed to invite friends along to grill a Christian. Uh, it's like there's a food-based theme this week, <laughs> pancakes on Tuesday, grilling Christians on Friday, uh, and it's where they can basically ask them any question, and, uh, and it'd be, it's going to be really great. So guys, invite friends, bring them along so you can ask anything. It's all anonymous. They can go on an online forum, for, add, add their question, and then they'll be um, collated and so on, and we'll answer them. So do that, guys. That'd be great. Good. Um, it's so encouraging to be with you. I hope you're ready for this. Um, I've written the shortest introduction I've ever, ever created for a preach. Are you ready? People of King's Church who believe in the crucified and risen Jesus Christ and obey his commands and enjoy the public reading of Scripture, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Our current sermon series has been shaped by a prophetic word, and you've got it in your handout there. You should all have one of those. And we received it a short time ago, and um, you can read it later, you can catch up. But um, we, we've completed the first section of preaching through this prophetic word. So if you're just coming in, we've covered the topics of prayer, obedience, dedication, and commitment. And now we've moved on to the bowls section, the bowls that are on the table full of good, good things um, to come from God. And they're in the picture as well. You can see them on the front. And one of those bowls is salvation. And uh, we're going to talk a bit more about that. Dale spoke last week um, about the promise of the Holy Spirit and how it affected uh, the disciples of Jesus at Pentecost. It empowered them. It changed them. It created them into people who were witnesses who would go to the ends of the earth with the good news. But today, I want to focus in on what happened after Pentecost. What happened next? Because those same witnesses um, seemed to change radically, and they had new characteristics. And in a short time after the Holy Spirit came and filled them, they'd go back and they'd ask for more. And then as they asked for more, they would witness more and they would live in such a way that they saw people come to be saved. And people responded to Jesus. People were baptized and then they were added in massive numbers, numbers I've never seen before. And, and what we want to do here at King's Church is see God pour out this bowl of salvation on us. We want this room to be filled with people who don't know Jesus. I would so love it if we had a room full of more, more people who didn't know Jesus here on a Sunday than people that do. That would just be amazing. And that's what we're going after when we're chasing God for this bowl. And so this morning, we're in an advantageous position. We, we can examine this first church in Jerusalem, discover what they were like using the book of Acts or Acts of the Apostles, if you've not read it before. And just recently, I walked through chapters two to five of Acts, and I made a list, which is also in your handout, a list of what these people in the earliest church there was were like. And I got excited reading it through, learning about how they were transformed and how they were the most unlikeliest of people to do what they did and how they saw so many saved, baptized, and added, as I mentioned. And so we've got three uh, points this morning. The first one's quite long. We're going to go through that list and look at who these witnesses are and what they're like. And, uh, and then we're going to look at two things in particular. Um, one is in the list and one isn't. Um, and we're going to focus down on that. 
And so let's get straight into it. You should open up to your list, and there's 20 witness characteristics. And when I say witness, I mean people who've encountered Jesus and been filled and baptized in his spirit. And I want us to see what this spirit-filled folk were like. So let's go. Number one, witnesses, they're baptized in the spirit. You heard about it last week. A mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire, onlookers amazed and perplexed, saying they're drunk. And if you want to have a bit of a giggle this afternoon, you can think about how similar people who are filled with the Spirit are to people who are drunk. If you've ever been in one of those contexts where uh, someone invites the Spirit to come and then suddenly people can't walk and people are laughing and people just can't control themselves because they're full of the Holy Spirit. It is very similar. You can get a picture in your mind of what that day at Pentecost must be like. That's the first one. They're baptized. They're filled with the Spirit for the first time. Number two, they know that they're called to receive the Spirit just as God called them to himself. So witnesses know that God has saved them, but they then also know, thanks to Scripture, that actually there's this Holy Spirit, there's this more, there's this thing, there's this person who can come and empower them and change them. They know that as well. Number three, they, they know they are called to be different to their generation. And uh, this is often a challenging aspect of becoming a Christian, is you, you change and you're different, and you don't do and say and think the same way you did before, and therefore you don't fit in. And no one really likes to fit in. Uh, Sorry, no one really likes not to fit in. Everyone likes to kind of go with the flow and go with the crowd. And actually, this spirit changes people. It makes them different. And they're told to turn away, to save themselves from the crooked generation of the time. They're told not to be like anyone else by Peter. Number four, witnesses are attractive. Everyone's like, yep. Uh, (laughs) If you're filled with the Spirit this morning, then you are attractive. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you want to encourage yourself in the morning, get up, stand in front of the mirror and go, I'm filled with the Spirit. (laughs) All right. Well, we see this in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 2, 47. Um, The believers, they praise God, and then it says they were having favor with all the people. The witnesses in this earliest of churches are so transformed, they're so radical in their behavior, thanks to Jesus, that many people will look at them and go, why are you so smiley? Why are you so happy? You're annoyingly happy. Could you, how can I be like that? I, I, I want to be like you. I want to be full of the, oh, whatever that thing is that you have. I want that. Witnesses are attractive. The world looks at them and goes, something, I can't put my finger on what it is, but there's something different about you, and I, I like it. Number five, witnesses are filled with awe, wonder, and amazement at the work of the Spirit among them. And we're going to come back to that one a bit later. Number six, witnesses can articulate the power of the gospel regarding Jesus' death and resurrection. And across the, five, the four chapters, two to five, um, Peter and John, two apostles, the closest, some of the closest followers Jesus had at the time. Um, in brief, they have to summarize the gospel in different ways to different groups um, across those chapters four times, and they go into great, some great detail in some, and they're very um, kind of skinning the surface in others, but they summarize how prophecies were fulfilled about Jesus, how his crucifixion went down, how the resurrection occurred, and how now, thanks to him, they do and say, and teach, and have power by him, through him. And 
Uh, there's a couple of things I think we need to note about this because these early witnesses, um, they, they were ready. They were ready to, to talk about Jesus and deliver the good news wherever they went because they were partnering with the Holy Spirit. They were teeming with the Spirit, if you like, and they were therefore effective in sharing the gospel. And there's a reason that Jesus um, didn't just send them out after he ascended into heaven. He didn't say, all right, I'm, I'm off to heaven, um, go. He didn't do that. He said, no, wait, you need to wait for the Spirit. And the reason he did that is because he knows that the Spirit will change people and make them so excited and so ready to talk about him. And some of that is entirely organic. And uh, I don't know if you've met uh, someone who's a new Christian uh, lately, uh, but I remember what I was like when I finally became a Christian at 18. And I was absolutely bubbling with it and buzzing. And there's that verse in Scripture that says, return to me the joy of my salvation. And sometimes I think back to those couple of days, few weeks even after I got saved, where I just couldn't help but tell anyone about Jesus. And that was a real a joy. And it has, it's sadly, not, I'm not as potent like that as I was before. And not to replace that, not to uh, change that, but we, we need to rely on God's Spirit to help us. But we also need to be practical. And it's not really that sexy. Uh, it's not really that cool. Um, but we need to be able to say, I know my stuff. I know how to explain the gospel. And I, this is kind of an area where I guess I've been uh, profiled. It's like Quincy's that guy who can go and talk to people and explain the gospel. And it's like, oh, and here's my top 25 tips to you know, doing it or whatever, which is crazy. Um, but the, the, the area, this area, I think if we want to grow in it, we do need to, to stop now and again and go, right, can I, can I explain the gospel to someone in minutes or less because time is so precious now people want to hear stuff and go they're, they're not a generation that wait around to sort of hear you talk for 10 minutes and explain everything they want it fast and they want it now and so we kind of need to read the room a bit and go right how how can i witness to people in my generation and do this and and one of those things is knowing the context knowing what's appropriate um being able to articulate our own testimony. I'm not sure I can actually remember the last time I told someone my story, um, but your story is so powerful. This is the, the thing that I was stirred to remember when I read this. It was like, actually, we all have that story. We all have that journey um, and those things that even however long ago they happened, they're still in your heart, how God brought you to be with him. Can we, can we articulate that? Um, are we able to be challenged? And are we able to persevere? And again, these are things I go to the Spirit for because I know humanly I can't do it on my own. Um, but let me encourage you in that, that actually these witnesses in Acts, early Acts, uh, they were so ready to share. And I'm sure it was a partly just the, like the baptism of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit coming, but also um, they must have been able somehow to practice this and, and say it so often that actually it was, it was a bit like a script. They knew what they were going to say. Um, so let me encourage you in that as well. And if you do want to really develop in that, um, just give me an email. Call me. We'll sit down. We'll have a cup of tea, coffee, and I'll, I'll try and help you if you really do want to kind of grow in that. And I'm, I'm not the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm not going to try and do what he does, but I can give you some tools and things like that. So let me know if you want to grow in that area. But I'm really encouraged at the moment um, that we are, uh, in fact, growing. Number seven, witnesses annoy those who disagree with them simply by speaking the truth. Um, Peter is explaining the gospel, and he gets interrupted in the book of Acts by some people who are greatly annoyed, according to the scripture. And uh, I've made a note here for young people. Um, you guys, 
If you're in school and you say you're a Christian, um, even if you hint maybe that you go to church, people suddenly get annoyed. Do you find that? Yeah, a couple of nods. Yeah, and maybe even adults as well. People, there are some people who are just going to be annoyed uh, because you're a Christian, and that's okay. Um, the best thing we can really do with that one is just acknowledge, yep, witnesses of Jesus, they annoy people. Uh, just by being them. You don't have to say or do anything particularly. Just by speaking truth and, and declaring who Jesus is, that can be annoying to some. So that's okay. I think we can acknowledge that. Number eight, uh, witnesses are prepared to be arrested for, uh, for speaking about Jesus. This is one of the ones I looked at and I thought, I don't know if I'm ready to be arrested and like led away like this. I don't know if I'm ready for that. And God really did speak to me and convict me about that because someone did recently get arrested for preaching in Southgate in London. Number nine, witnesses see more people saved the more they witness. At Pentecost, 3,000 people are added, and then the number grows day by day. And when Peter and John are arrested a few days later, the number reaches 5,000. And witnesses, it seems, create witnesses. They see growth. And I'm encouraged by um, our parallel to this, which is kind of alpha, where we've had double figures in terms of guests for the last couple of years. So well done. We are witnessing together. And I was encouraged there by Jen's story as well about how um, that her, um, sorry, I can't remember the generation, daughter, granddaughter, daughter, I can't remember. Yeah, granddaughter was invited to church. And I would love us just to get that culture built up a bit of just, just being natural about bringing people into this space and, uh, and, and inviting them to come and experience and witness God among us. Like, um, like when God moved earlier on and you read various scriptures the public reading of scripture is so important and it is so powerful and it is inspiring when you hear someone read somewhere from scripture and then someone else has already got the Bible in their hand and they compliment that person's verse and yeah, that, I mean, I could go on and on about that, but I would love us to build up this um, culture of um, invitation to Sundays as well because witnesses see more people saved the more they witness. Number 10. Witnesses have the power to heal in the name of Jesus. Number 11, they declare that there is salvation in no one else but Jesus. And number 12, they are astonishing. They speak of what they have seen and heard. In uh, the book of Acts, Peter and John, these apostles are nobodies, according to the religious leaders. But hearing what they've said and, and how they've articulated themselves, they are astonished that these uneducated common blokes are able to proclaim such great truths about Jesus so boldly. They could see that they had been with Jesus, it says. They could see that they were full of the Holy Spirit. And the things that these guys report are simply what they've seen and heard. And when I read that in Acts, it, it encouraged me because it made me realize, if nothing else, I can just report what I have seen and heard. I can report um, that my leg grew in this very room in 2015, on the 29th of March, when a, a, an older gentleman sat on the floor and held my feet in his hands and prayed to, to the Lord Jesus, I can report that. If nothing else, I can tell someone about when I prayed for someone's depression to go in Jesus' name, and it did. I can talk about Gina. I can talk about Sammy, because witnesses are able to do that. That's simply what they do. They report what they have seen and heard God do, like we do in our testimony slot. Witnesses rely on the name of Jesus, number 13, as we've heard. Number 14, they go on being filled with the Spirit. This is more than once. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. It says in Acts um, 4, 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, 
and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It's an ongoing thing. Tony Campolo, he talks about it, Christian author, about how we leak, and we need to be filled up again. And this is what we see in the book of Acts. They go on being filled with the Spirit. 15, and the next ones are quite quick. Witnesses are generous. Witnesses are honest. They obey God rather than men, and they identify with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They always point back to him. It all flows from him, according to the witnesses of early Acts. Number 19, witnesses are obedient to Jesus. And lastly, 20, they can't be stopped. And we're going to come back to that in a little while as well. Good. So reading that list, flying through it as we have done, uh, I encourage you to reflect on it, go back through, check those references out, or even just read Acts 2 to 5 to get a fuller uh, complement of what's going on there. But witness life to me sounds pretty exciting. I mean, these men and women of the early church, these spirit-filled witnesses, they experience healings, wonders, signs, and mass salvation as they partner with the Holy Spirit in daily life. And having read these chapters, I was prompted to ask, does my life look like that of a spirit-filled witness? And going down the list, I thought, okay, perhaps in some ways it does, but maybe not in others. And after some reflection, there are a couple of things that really leapt out of me, and we're just going to look at those in more detail. Um, so let's start with number one. As witnesses, we need to look up, not in. The witnesses we read about in Acts, they experienced awe, wonder, amazement, as God did some miraculous works through them. There's a couple of examples. Um, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit's been poured out, Peter's preached the gospel, and those who receive the word, they repent and are baptized 3,000 added to the number, we, And look what happens next in these verses. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. These witnesses are all together. They're listening to teaching. They're enjoying fellowship. They're having communion, and they're praying together. And then awe comes upon every soul. And that word awe, it translates as reverent fear. And many commentators believe it, it hit the whole city. Now, this is something I would love us to pray for perhaps on Tuesday, that reverent awe would fall across our entire towns where we live, that people would come out of their houses again, revival style, as we might have read, and fall, fall down before God in fear of him. And while this awe rests upon this place, wonders and signs are continued to be done by the apostles. That's the one example. The next is one particular healing that brings amazement and astonishment, and it's in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, they head up to the temple, and they come across a well-known beggar, a lame guy who had been there from birth. And people must have walked past him every day. They must have seen him Every day, going to the, you know, on the way to the temple, they're walking up there. All right, Larry, just like carrying on. Like he's there, he's begging, he's there every day. And then suddenly, Peter calls on him to look at him. And it's quite an intense moment, I should imagine, where he does this. He says, look at me. And he says, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And lo and behold, he gets the man up. And this guy can't believe it. 
he's jumping and he's skipping and he's into the temple. He's probably like doing the can-can as he goes. And the onlookers feel, like, look at him and go, oh, wow, that is incredible. Is that him? Is that Larry? Like, could it possibly be him? And what we have, spirit-filled witnesses, we must also give. The young people were learning all about this at Carity Wood. They were hearing about who the Spirit is and what he does and how they can be filled with him and, and how they can see these things happen in their lives as well. And it's an encouragement to us to go for these things often, to go for science, go for healing, go for chains breaking like we did in our worship earlier on because we believe God can do it and we want to see uh, those somewhat humanly hopeless situations be turned around like Jen was saying earlier on. And so they enter the temple and all the people are utterly astounded. And it gives Peter the opportunity to preach again and tell them how Jesus has healed this man. It's not him, but Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And it's an incredible story and I can only imagine the excitement they would have had. But this is where the Holy Spirit convicted me. Because recently I started to realize that my response to reading and hearing about the marvelous works of God was rather tame. I'd hear about a miracle or something genuinely amazing that God had done, and I'd say something like, oh, yeah, I expected that to happen. God's God. And I'll be honest with you, I, st- I sat there and I, heard, I just heard God say, well, that's a bit proud. That's not right. Like, you're, you're responding to me going, yep, just what I expect him to do, going to carry on with my normal life. No. I felt, I did feel it at the moment. I felt God convict me because I realized that actually I'd kind of put him second place in my life again. And I put myself first because it was only again in that moment that I started to realize, hang on a minute, pre- recently I've been thinking a lot about me about my future, about my family, about my house, about my situation, my plans, my desires. I, had, I was convicted of this, and it, it's not a comfortable thing to tell you, to be quite honest. It's not, it's not a very nice thing to have to admit to, but at the same time, I, having realized that I got so introspective, I felt God's grace come. I suddenly managed to acknowledge that I'd stalled that I'd lost enthusiasm, that I'd become more concerned about myself and the wonders of God. And I found this good way that Spurgeon puts it. He says, uh, trying to make spiritual progress through excessive introspection is like a store owner who closes his shop because he is worried he is not selling enough. The store owner goes into the back room and spends all his time taking inventory of things he hasn't sold. I realized now that maybe recently I'd shut up shop, that I'd stopped growing as a witness and doing risky things. And I'd realized that actually, by God's grace, it's okay. It's all right to have a season like this. It's, it's okay. I, I, you know, even as someone who is in church leadership and things, like, it's all right to admit that actually I haven't been really, I haven't really been doing that right. Actually, I'm, I'm and I, I just knew God's grace in that moment because once he had convicted me, it brought me to repentance. It brought me to a place where I've got to go, I need to change my thinking about this. I need to get back to saying, wow, out loud, 
And that's amazing. And generally taking a moment to think that God has supernaturally healed someone without a doctor, without any intervention from the human world. And that, that needs to wow me again. I need to put God back. Where he needs. I need to get my eyes up, looking up at the big picture of God once again. That's what I'm really glad to say he's kind of done, because this wasn't going to be my second point until about two days ago. I had a completely different, I'd written it, I'd written the whole preach, and then God went, no, hang on a minute, you've got to change that. Sadly, our culture does fuel the me perspective, but I'm, don't hear me wrong, I'm not blaming the culture. I know that I, I had gone wrong in this one. Uh, and, but it does fuel that me, stuff, that me kind of culture, that kind of individualism, that sort of, if you take care of yourself, if you get enough stuff, you're going to be all right. It does, it does fuel that. But that, actually, we can't use that as an excuse because we know the truth. We know the truth that Jesus is the bread of life. We know that Jesus is that eternal wellspring. We know that Jesus is the only one who can fulfill this generation who are lost and bewildered, who are wondering why it's all going wrong, even though they've got everything they need and everything they want. See, the witnesses in Jerusalem, they saw salvation come because they made their lives about glorifying Jesus from that very moment, from the very start. They looked up, not in, straight away. And that's what you read if you read the book of Acts. You see it happening out on the page. And that's what I need to do. That's what we might need to do. Because ultimately, that's what we're here for, to glorify God. Because as witnesses, we need to look up and not in. Now, that first church, they were reverent, they were in awe. They are a great model, <laughs> I think, looking at them. And I want to be like them. I want the God to restore that awe in my heart. I want to be so excited and so confident in God that I'm bold and fearless in the face of opposition. And that's what led me to this last point, which is spirit-filled witnesses can't be stopped. And uh, I don't know if you've been watching the rugby recently, Six Nations. Anyone watch that? Yeah? I looked up a couple of people um, who play rugby for international teams. A lady, there's a lady who plays for England called Sarah Byrne, and she's a prop. And she, like, uh, she could easily take me out, quite easily. And uh, she, there's this great clip of her do, uh, scoring a try the other day. And she just like, ran through people and just put her hand out. And they were coming forwards. When they hit her hand, she went backwards. It was like the Holy Spirit, like, just like whoo, slain in the spirit, like that. And, uh, and then on the men's side, I saw Billy Vunipola. Now, no contest, me and him, really. He, he literally, he runs forwards. And in this video clip, I watched one guy grabs him. Another guy grabs his leg, and he's still moving. And then one last guy jumped on top, and he still went forwards. It was amazing to watch. And uh, I probably watched rugby for the wrong reasons. But I, I really enjoyed uh, looking these people up, because they are what spirit-filled witnesses are meant to be like. We're meant to just power forwards. If someone tries to stop us, we carry on. If we get, someone grabs your leg, then you keep going. You keep pushing forwards. And they, they're not necessarily our inspiration. I'm not sure they had rugby players in the first century. Um, but it's kind of like a picture, I suppose, of what I want you to imagine yourself as, uh, as you go through your week this week. There might be things that try and, try and trip you up, try and stop you sharing your faith, try and stop you being a witness. Someone might come and absolutely try and slap you down. But actually, because you are filled with the Spirit, you can keep going forwards. And that's what you read in Acts number five. Um, there's some audacious spirit-filled witnesses, and they want—they uh, are really, really irritating the religious leaders at the time. They, it says they're enraged by these guys. And then 
They're spotting what to do about the Christians in Jerusalem. And uh, a guy called Gamaliel stands up. And I won't read the whole quote to you because that would take too long and I want us to respond. Um, But basically he says, if these men and women are of God, there's no point trying to shut them down. There's no point trying to stop them because God is with them. And if you try and stop them, then you might well be opposing God and trying to stop him. And I don't advise you to do that. He references other people in the same century who have attempted to reach the world with some followers and failed. A guy called Thutis, a guy called Judas. And neither of them had the spirit and neither of them were on a mission with God. But we are spirit-filled witnesses. We are irrepressible because of God. It says in uh, 1 Peter that we're partakers in the divine nature, which sounds a little bit heretical if you think about it, but it's the truth. Holy Spirit lives in us. He enables us, empowers us. And again, Jesus doesn't send the disciples out without saying first, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, because it's his power, not ours. And sometimes I forget he wasn't joking. The power I have is given to me by Jesus through the Holy Spirit, and it means we can do all things that Jesus did. Heal the sick, cast out demons, even raise the dead. Because spirit-filled witnesses are those who have partnered with the Spirit. They've been baptized by the Spirit. They've been filled again and again, and they've been changed. And they won't be stopped from speaking to people about Jesus and doing good works and loving those around them because of him, not because of themselves. I'm going to invite these guys in the band to come up again because we're going to respond um, to God. But in summary, we've looked at who witnesses were and what they're like. Um, We've looked at how they need to look up, not in. And we've looked at the fact that they can't be stopped because of the Holy Spirit. And I want to um, respond in a moment by worshipping. And then we'll see um, how things go. But I wonder if there's people here today who, uh, who kind of resonate a bit with my becoming a bit blase about the things that God's been doing um, and just want to recalibrate, want to repent, want to say to God, I'm sorry. Um, I, I want to change my thinking. Help me change my thinking about the amazing things you've done. Help me put you back in first place in my life. I wonder whether there's actually going to be time maybe where we need just to wait on God again. I heard that Kevin did this last week. Um, he just waited. Sometimes that's so rare in our culture, in our life, um, waiting on God. And maybe we'll do some praying as well. But just to encourage you, uh, yesterday Carrie um, and I and some of the team were in Liverpool for a conference with other New Ground leaders. And there was a picture um, that Carrie brought of the Thames Barrier. If you've ever been to the Thames Barrier, huge man-made barrier can be put up or down different levels to stop the Thames or start the Thames flowing. And uh, then when I came down this morning to turn on the computer for the AVs, um, on the startup screen, which I don't control in any way, was a picture of the Thames Barrier. (laughs) And I just thought, God, really? Can you use AV's machine to do this? I mean, that computer is practically useless. Like, we're about to replace it. It's awful. But he just spoke to me in a moment. He just said, this is what I can do if you put the barrier down. (laughs) And it's a man-made barrier, the Thames Barrier. There's a guy with a switch or whatever that lowers it. And just as we were praying this morning, Jen didn't know any of that. In our prayer meeting, prayer moment up here, she said, Lord, let people take the barriers down. Let people bring their heart out of a cage. And I was at the conference 
and I had to confess my heart had been in a cage for a bit. And it was really painful. It wasn't very nice at all, but it's the truth. And just about, I've managed to join up the dots. God wants to fill you with his spirit. I'm confident of that. So why don't you stand with me? We're going to sing a song.